0: Good morning, early church. My name is not Alex Kirk. The real Alex Kirk and family are off this weekend visiting Sun Davis as he starts his freshman year. So they're enjoying some family time. And my name is Brian Emmett. Alex asked me to stand in for him this morning. We're glad you're here in person and online and Hope that what we do together here this morning in worship, and then together throughout the week, will offer you opportunities to connect with God, with God's people, and with God's work in our world. One of those connecting opportunities that our church offers is uh, called Connect Devotionals. That's uh, something that I'm a part of, and just wanted to bring that to your attention Every Monday through Friday, if you would like, you can receive in your inbox a very short devotional crafted by one of our creative and skilled Connect devotional writers. It's keyed to the current sermon series and also the scripture passage that we're attending to that particular week. So if uh, that's something that sounds of interest, it's free. It's free. You can unsubscribe at any time. We will not send, uh, sell your emails to anyone and no ads uh, other than this one. So the uh, link information is up there uh, if that's something of interest to you. Now, over the past several weeks, uh, we've been thinking about what it means to soar. We've been reflecting on the ways in which God understands soaring differently than our culture does. God created us to soar, but we have to pay attention to how God thinks about that. So, to soar means that we're allowing God's life to invade every nook and cranny of our lives. Our lives being filled with the life and love and light and peace and truth of Jesus. So soar does not mean that we get to a place where we float far above all the problems, stresses, sins, and mess of life. Free as a bird, off on our own. Sore is not about escaping. It's about learning to catch and ride the wind of God's spirit and follow that through all of life's peaks and valleys. So our scripture this week is found in the Gospel of Mark. It's in Mark chapter 12. We'll start in verse 41. It might be a familiar story to uh, some of us. Jesus is at the temple in Jerusalem and he's doing something that we rarely see Jesus doing, which is people watching. He's observing people as they drop off their contributions to the temple treasury. There's some rich people who are able to put in a lot and what Jesus notices is different. So let's listen to this story. This is from Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. And isn't that an interesting verb? Many rich people threw in large amounts. But what Jesus notices A poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you. And when Jesus uses that language, truly I tell you, what does it mean? He wants us to pay attention, right? (laughs) Jesus always wants us to pay attention to whatever he is saying to us, but when he says, truly, I tell you, he's underlining it and highlighting it. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. Everything she had to live on. And that's how the story ends. Next section, it's on to something else. Now, perhaps you've heard a sermon on this passage. As, uh, in my days as a pastor, I'm sure I preached more than one sermon entitled something like the might of the widow's might, M-I-T-E being a small thing of not very much value. And Jesus notices this widow and commends her, draws his disciples' attention to her. In God's eyes, it's not the size or amount of who we are or what we do or what we're able to give, it's what motivates what we do. The widow's two pennies amount to more in God's eyes than the far greater sums the rich were able to toss in. They gave out of their extra or out of their excess Her gift is a true sacrifice in ways that perhaps theirs were not. Two small coins given in the right spirit can add up to more in God's eyes than wads of C-notes. So far, so good. God indeed wants us to give faithfully, generously, sacrificially. But maybe, maybe there's some tension in this story as well. What happened to this widow? We don't know. We may hope and believe that somehow God took care of her, but we just don't know. Maybe you feel some anger about this situation, in which an impoverished widow perhaps felt pressured to give her last two nickels into a system that doesn't seem to notice or care very much about her. Maybe you feel that Jesus ought to have done more or directed his disciples to do something to help her. Perhaps some of us experience some guilt listening to this story as it reminds us of times when perhaps we were invited to God to give sacrificially and perhaps turned away. Or maybe some of us feel like those richer worshipers who were able to give from our extra or our excess are we being as faithful as this widow? Let's widen our angle on this story just a bit. Here's the verses that come immediately before the passage that we just listened to. So, so let's listen to what comes right before our story. Again, Mark 12, the starting in verse 38. As he taught, So we're still in the temple, and Jesus is teaching as he taught. Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. Watch out for the religious experts. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. There's some tension here, right? Flowing robes, respectful greetings, box seats, places of honor at feasts, that sounds like soaring, right? But then comes the part about devouring widows' houses while strutting their spirituality with long-winded prayers. And we know Jesus isn't just talking about hyper-religious people. We know that as humans gain wealth, status, power, whether it's in business or government or education, churches, wherever, power often gets misused. And we might find ourselves among those who have misused the authority or resources that have been entrusted to us or... Perhaps we have been mistreated and abused by powerful and distorted people and systems. Let's widen our angle on this story just one, one step further. When and where did Jesus encounter this widow? What, what else was going on? Well, it's Passover week in Jerusalem. For the Jews, Passover was their great liberation celebration. So think Moses, slavery in Egypt, Pharaoh's hard heart, ten plagues that culminated in the angel of death seizing the firstborn of everyone in Egypt except those who had the blood of a lamb displayed on the doors of their homes. When that angel saw that blood, the angel passed over that household. Think Red Sea, pursuing Egyptian armies, God's people crossing on dry ground, their enemies swallowed up by returning waters. It's Freedom Week in Jerusalem. The city's population is maybe eight, ten times its normal size because of all the pilgrims flocking to Jerusalem for the celebration. But there's tension there too. There are soldiers posted throughout the city, but they're not Israel's soldiers. Their are Romes. Israel is an occupied nation, a colony of the all-powerful Roman Empire. Can you see how it might be challenging to celebrate Freedom Week while constantly being reminded of your subjugated status? We can't soar with Roman boots always on our necks. If only we had a king and an army more powerful than Rome, then finally we could soar. Remember, too, that our widow put her two pennies into the offering boxes for the temple treasury. This likely funded the care and the maintenance of Israel's central symbol of her identity as God's chosen people. The temple was where heaven met earth. It was the place where divine compassion and forgiveness met human sin and brokenness. The temple was God's local address on planet Earth and not merely a P.O. box. The temple was God's throne room on Earth. But it's also Herod's temple. Herod the puppet king installed by the Romans had built this magnificent, beautiful temple. As far as Herod and the Romans were concerned, Herod was the king of the Jews. So for many Jews, this temple was only a debased and corrupted form of what the temple really was supposed to be. And you might remember just a few days before our story with this poor widow, Jesus had arrived in Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He was welcomed by crowds of his supporters who proclaimed him the Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed. The Greek form, which is the language of our New Testament, is Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. It is his title. When we say Jesus Christ, we say Jesus the King. King Jesus. So he arrives in Jerusalem. Crowds of his supporters are proclaiming, Here's our king. Here comes our king. Now, if, and, and he's riding it on a donkey. And his followers are waving palm branches, you know, just hooray. Now, if I'm a Roman soldier, I'm not too worried at this point, right? I've got a supposed king arriving on a donkey. And his followers aren't waving weapons, they're waving branches. But it's freedom week in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And somebody proclaiming a king of the Jews, that could lead to trouble. And this Messiah king, this Jesus, has a complicated relationship with the temple. Shortly after riding into the city and being welcomed as the king, Jesus has gone to the temple and cleansed it. He's cleaned house. He throws out everyone who had turned God's house into a merchandise market. What God intended to be a place of prayer for all the nations, Jesus said, you've turned into a den of robbers. And it's the leadership of this temple that will very shortly arrest Jesus, sentence him to death, and hand him over to the Romans for execution. So you've got this temple and religious system that Jesus has condemned in pretty strong terms. You've got a woman who has placed her last two nickels into the treasury of that temple. Nested in this religious system where Jesus had just said that religious leaders are inclined to devour widow's homes, we get this story of a widow who soars, despite the fact that the system she's embedded in is corrupt and declared to be under God's judgment. As I said earlier, it's important not to confuse soaring with success, especially the way our modern world understands success. Our modern consumer culture trains us to understand success in terms of comfort, convenience, security, individual autonomy, things like that. We're successful, we can soar, our culture tells us, when we have all that we need or want to do whatever we determine. And if we can't be successful on those terms, we think it's impossible to soar. But Jesus helps us realize that soaring is not contingent on circumstances. That would give way too much power to the circumstances and the corrupt leaders throughout history who have regularly devoured widows' houses, enslaved, used, and abused people. And yet throughout the centuries, it is often the poor and the oppressed who most fervently declare that in spite of their sufferings, which are real and which are wrong, and which are caused by abusive people and systems, despite that, soaring in God and with God is at the heart of their stories. Several weeks ago, we listened to a passage that describes Jesus being invited to dinner in the home of a prominent religious leader. And in the midst of the dinner, an unnamed, uninvited, and unwelcome woman arrives and begins anointing Jesus with her most precious possession, all she had. And she begins to pour that oil over Jesus and anoints him not only with that oil, but with her tears as well. Dinner guests are obviously offended and embarrassed And Jesus says, do you see this woman? He then contrasts how his high and mighty guests have received him with how this woman received him. And today's story of the widow echoes this story that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Jesus makes a point in both stories of calling his disciples' attention to a woman, an unnamed woman, in both, of, in both stories. The, the women don't say anything that's recorded. We don't know their names. They don't say anything. But Jesus calls our attention to watch what's going on. Do you see this woman? Can you see what's really happening here? Do you see the way I see, Jesus says. Do you see this woman as the one who's truly soaring rather than those others who imagine themselves to soar but are far, far more tied up and tied down than they realize? Are there some ways in which our pursuit of success, as our world defines it, is keeping us more earthbound than we imagine? Perhaps these stories of a woman who anoints Jesus, a widow who gives her all to God, might remind us of another woman, a woman from our own time, who gave herself to caring for the dying street people in Calcutta. They were dying, they were going to die, there was nothing medically that could save them, and Mother Teresa simply started caring for them in their final hours, final days. She was once asked whether this was really the highest and best use of her time and energy. These people are dying, they're going to die anyway, nothing changes. And she replied, God may not have called me to do great things, but to do small things with great love. You hear soaring in there? God, has not called, God may not have called me to do big things. Perhaps God has called me to do small things, but with great love. It's not the size of our task or the size of our gifts and offerings that enable us to soar. It's the size, if you will, of the love with which we do what we do. On another occasion, Mother Teresa was asked a similar kind of question. Isn't this, you know, kind of, wouldn't there be a better use of your time and energy? And she said, God hasn't called me to be successful has called me to be faithful. That's soaring. So three women, an unnamed party crasher, an unnamed impoverished widow, and a woman we know as Mother Teresa, who went on to win a Nobel Prize. But that's not why she soared. She was soaring long before and apart from the Nobel Committee recognizing the real value of what she was doing. So let's return back to our widow as we wrap up here. As I read the story, it seems to me that the widow's gift is not forced. It's freely given. Yes, there may well have been manipulative pressures flowing through this religious system, as there often are, but I get the sense that the widow's not controlled by them. No one in the system cares what she gives or whether she gives or not. All she's got is two pennies. Who cares? What's there to notice? She gives freely. And I don't get the sense it's a quid pro quo transaction where if she does the right thing, then God will owe her some kind of result. Jesus dignifies the woman by dignifying her gift. She matters to God, her gift matters, and what she does out of gratitude and faithfulness is an act of self-determination on her part. She refuses to allow her identity to be enslaved to or controlled by how the world, her world and ours, often confuses soaring and success. She's not defined by her poverty or her social status nor even by the losses she has suffered or the hard road she may be facing. Her identity is that she belongs to the Lord, and therefore her life is going to be organized around and directed by who God is and not by who her world says she is. Whether or not her story ends happily ever after, she is giving what she has to the work of the Lord as she understands it. she's participating with God in his work. She soars because her identity is centered in God and her life flows from the presence and purposes of God. She is soaring because even in her poverty, with every excuse in the world to hold on to those last two coins, and to turn away from the God who has not blessed her with wealth, who has allowed her husband to die, she's going to continue to worship him with all that she is, with all that she has, right down to her last two nickels. She has all kinds of reasons to grasp and to hold on to what little she has, but none of those reasons are persuasive to her. What are our reasons? for not following her lead? Are we carrying resentment and unforgiveness towards people or churches or systems that have indeed mistreated and harmed us? Are we maybe a little too comfortable, a little too insistent on having things according to our preferences? Do we simply not like the idea of giving Jesus free reign to all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, all of our strengths. In the end it's not about money, not about how much wealth, status, or power we have or don't have. It's about following Jesus, however we find ourselves placed in the world's various structures and systems. We're not to resign ourselves to the way things are, we are to follow Jesus. Jesus. We're not to fight the way things are. We are to follow Jesus. We are not to try to escape the way things are. We are to follow Jesus. Our identity, our lives do not consist in what we have or the labels placed upon us either by ourselves or by others. Our identity centers in And consists of who our Messiah King is and what he has done for us, what he says about us. Soaring is about doing whatever our king calls us to do in his service. Even if in everyone else's eyes but our king's, what we offer isn't worth two cents. Just a few days after this story about the widow, Jesus is going to soar. He's going to be lifted up on a Roman cross. The one who appeared to soar into Jerusalem, riding a wave of popular adulation, within a week is rejected, abandoned, denied, betrayed, arrested, sentenced, crucified, dead, and buried. Hardly looks like success. But there's more going on than we see. There's more going on in the widow's story. More going on in the woman's who embarrasses everyone by anointing Jesus. More going on in your story than you might know. There's more going on than the apparent waste of caring for people who are going to die anyway. More going on than a king who appears to have completely failed in his mission to liberate his people. And what's going on in those stories and in your story is God. Do you see this woman who anointed me with her perfume and tears? Do you see this widow who freely entrusted her life to God? Do you see this king who does not fail because God raises the dead? Do you see that as powerful as the world and all of its systems may be, what really is happening always is God. God at work to recapture, redeem, reconcile, and restore all that has been broken, twisted, deformed, ruined, and lost. Not by succeeding as an earthly king, but soaring as one who lives his life and gives his life in faithful attentiveness and response to who God is and how God goes about loving his creation back into wholeness and health. We soar as we respond to God. Our life is not defined or determined by our status, power, wealth, labels, any of those things. We soar as we learn to put one foot in front of another, following Jesus, instead of the dictates and norms of our anxious, greedy, and broken world. We soar as we put into practice what Jesus tells us, regardless of how the results may look to us or anyone else. We soar as we pay ever more attention to who God is, and to what God says, and to how God goes about his redeeming work. Then we pay to our past failures or successes. Then we pay to the constant chattering of a culture that is drowning in information and opinion, but ever thirstier for wisdom and love. We pay attention to the Lord who sees a widow who truly soars. So some take-home questions, just to wrap up now. And these are on, uh, if you want to pick up a copy of these questions on your way out, they're on the table in the back, and they'll also be posted online in the show more section. So, first question to consider taking home with you. What might a step from seeking success into seeking to be faithful, what might such a step look like for you? If there's a way in which you've been chasing success, what might a step towards faithfulness look like for you? Secondly, how might it be that God is what's really happening in a difficult situation you're facing right now? If you're up against something in some way, and right, who isn't? <laughs> what changes if you start to say what's really happening in this situation is not how I'm screwing up or how they're screwing up or how the world is screwing up, but what is God? How is God happening in this situation? Third thing to consider is there are someone whom you need to see differently. How might you start to do that, right? Do you see this woman? Do you see this widow? Is there someone you might need to see differently and what might a step towards that look like for you? And finally, is there someone whom you might help to soar this week through a word of thanks or encouragement or some practical help. Yes, soaring is not contingent on our circumstances, but maybe you could help someone soar this week by letting them know in some concrete way that like Jesus, you see them. Let's pray together. I want to begin our prayer just with some silence. Think back over this morning. Scripture you've heard, words from the songs we've sung, something somebody said to you, maybe just something the Holy Spirit, you've got a thought in your head. So just take a moment to receive that. Acknowledge it. Say, yes, Lord, that's you. Take a moment to do that. Lord Jesus, we would be good soil for your word. Where our hearts are hard, please plow them afresh. Where our hearts are shallow, please deepen them. Where our hearts are entangled and choked by weeds of all kind, pull up and pull out everything that is in your way. Lord Jesus, may we be fruitful, hearers and doers, of your word, to the praise of your glory and grace. Amen.